Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. Nearly a decade since habits propelled her to top 40 ubiquity, Tuvalu is ready to tell you that you've been pronouncing her name wrong this entire time. She's left the major label that she'd been signed to for the majority of her career and started her own, Pretty Swede Records. And she's embracing the fact that her sound will always defy what we typically expect from pop music. Her new album, Dirt Femme, is a daring exercise in these extremes. Jumping from club banger to ballad, oscillating between ironclad and vulnerable, never afraid to contradict itself. It's further proof that there's no pop star more adept at encapsulating the gorgeous messiness of the human experience. Ahead of the album's release, she caught up with the fader Salvatore Mackey for a wide-ranging conversation about choosing to go indie, that crazy hot butter sample into Die For, and the wild nights that shaped Dirt Fam. Tuva, where in the world are you finding yourself today? I am in Los Angeles, in my home. And I just got back from a little Euro run of shooting another music video <laughs> and promo and touring. And yeah, everything is fully back. Right. You were in Estonia, right? Yes. How was that? Amazing. I've never been before. And I know that so like a lot of Swedish people go to Estonia to Tallinn for vacation and there's like cruise ships that go back and forth from Stockholm. And I feel like I was being a little bit judgmental in how it was going to be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, but it was really beautiful, really good food, really nice people. Everything was great. Tuva, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. First off, I got to apologize for the audio issues that prevented us from recording last week. I was mortified. But then one of my friends told me, Sal, no one dies from podcasting. And that seemed to help just a little bit. It's very true. (laughs) When you were recording that song, did you realize you'd be opening this floodgate of no one dies from blank puns? (laughs) I did not. I did not expect that. But I love... um, I don't know. I just love the internet, man. (laughs) I think it's great. I just think my fans are the absolute best uh, and so engaging and so witty and funny. And I just um, love seeing all the content that just starts flooding and how they just take it and run with it. It makes me really happy. (laughs) I want to get into this incredible new record, Dirt Femme, your first indie release on Pretty Swede Records. But first, I want to go back just a little bit. So the last time we spoke, you were about to put out Sunshine Kitty, which closes with the song Anywhere You Go. The message of that being you can find home in love despite, you know, being distanced from a place. And I hate to go back to like pandemic speak because I feel like that kind of dominates all of the press cycles of these like post 2020 records. But I did want to know, like, let's talk about that year. Like, what was that like? I know you took a break from songwriting. What was it like for you? It was weird because it started off with you know, I wrote No One Dies From Love in January 2020. And I was like, I can't wait to play this at the summer festivals. It's going to be the like first song into the next chapter, whatever it is. Like, this is clearly, 
setting the bar on the sound for what I want this next record to be. And then I got to do a whole US tour in February. That was amazing. I saw it. It was it was incredible. I saw it, I think maybe the night after the injury. Yes, I was gonna and I also broke my foot. <laughs> no, I, I uh got a pink throne. I went up there with my broken foot and finished the tour and I was very, very proud of myself. And despite that, it was one of my favorite tours I've ever done. It was just the crowds were incredible. It was sold out in most places. It was just it felt really like a lot of work had paid off. And we were looking at a very, very busy year of touring. And then obviously everything stopped. And there was just a few things that kind of happened simultaneously. You know, it stopped. I kind of, you know, there was no sort of way to keep pushing my music. I didn't really have any new music to put out. Because usually when I'm in like tour mode, I kind of stop. You know, I write for a really long time and then I'm going out on tour and I'm not in a writing headspace. But also think a little bit during the pandemic for me was like kind of sit back and listen mode a little bit. And I guess I was just doing that. My record deal was up. So I had this feeling of like, am I ever going to be an artist again? Like, am I ever going to tour again? Am I ever going to want to write songs? Like right now I'm feeling like I'm very present. I'm not like, you know, what's going to happen in the future? I never really plan. I just kind of feel like the, the present is the future. Does that make sense? I don't know <laughs> if it does. But emotionally, <laughs> that's how I am. And I guess I had this thought that like what if this is just now it like I'm not gonna want to write I'm not gonna make a new album I'm not gonna have a any way to put it out I'm not gonna tour like what if what if this is just the the rest of it and that sent me into a kind of pretty sad place for a while but then I kind of out of nowhere got asked to shoot this movie in Sweden. It was a period piece from the 1850s. And I played like a alcoholic sex worker from that time who was trying to find a better life. So she goes on a boat to America. I'm one of the sort of three lead characters. And I have never acted before. It was um, very much out of my comfort zone. It was very challenging and hard and weird and stressful and fun, all of the things. And when I came back from that, at the end of 2020, I was, it was like itching in my fingers to write again. And that kind of started the, the process again. Yeah. It seems like you drew a bit from the world of cinema for this record in the visuals and the lyrics. And it seems like that's all kind of kismet that you then ended up acting in this movie at the end of 2020. Do you feel like there's a particular film that you feel like embodies what Dirt Femme stands for? I think it's a mix of a few things, Lady Bird and for the colors, like Florida Project. I mean, then you have like to romance and to die for are like in there, you know, <laughs> but it's hard to say because a lot of the songs, you know, have I, I've, I've kind of created this this thing where every song has a female character that is a, a, um, a movie character that I like or that it's loosely based on that or like a, a part of me that I feel is like something I want to portray in a song. So like to die for is Wonder Woman with big dick energy and in No One Dies From Love is the damsel in distress who you see in all the action movies who like, you know, is like glamorous but needs saving kind of thing. And they're all a part of me, you know. And then, you know, I've made these scenes for every every song. For Pineapple Slice is the very sort of seductive forward part of me. To Romance is the murderous but cute you know she's got a hammer she's on her way to kill somebody or she already did you don't know <laughs> but she looks good while she does it and I guess it's you know I, I 
wrote the record first. I didn't even know what I was going to call it. I think my work, the working title was feminine. Uh, I didn't really feel like that was right, but it was kind of where the inspiration was, was coming from. And once I had the title and once I started to kind of feel like, oh, this sonically is so dramatic and cinematic and it feels very emotional and, and, and all that. And I think that's when I kind of wanted to really make sure that the visuals felt as powerful. And so just went into creating all that <laughs> with it. <laughs> you start in this movie, The Emigrants, it seemed like a very fulfilling experience, but obviously it was one that posed its own unique challenges. I didn't even know that you were filming this at the end of 2020. That in itself must have been pretty harrowing. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, Sweden had very different COVID restrictions. Like we didn't actually have a single single case for the first like two months that we filmed. It was very, you know, getting tested on set. People are wearing masks except for when we're shooting. You separate us into groups. Like these people always eat together. These people always eat together to kind of keep everything very sort of controlled. And we were out, you know, far in the countryside. So we weren't around many people except for the people on set. When we switched location, then all of a sudden it started kind of started to trickle in. And that was very, you still felt the energy of that the whole time. Um, so I think it was, that was a big challenge, but we managed to get through it without anyone actually getting sick, which was, I think, very just lucky. And also because of all the rules that they put in place that everyone followed very <laughs> carefully. Right. And I wonder if that maybe even contributed, like maybe trickled into the mood of the movie and the time that it takes place in and the circumstances that people were actually facing during that time. It was grim. It, it's, it's, it's pretty dark. It's, it's, uh you know, showing a, a time when we were very, very behind in the Industrial Revolution. People were starving. Everyone was owning money to the royal family because, you know, they owned all the land. So you couldn't really be your own. Um, you weren't in charge of your own destiny. And then there was that rumor that in America, they're giving away land for free, which, you know, wasn't really the truth. But <laughs> that was the the reason so many. So a million Swedes, like a quarter of the population, I think it was, migrated to America by boat in the like 1850s or 1840s around there. So that's kind of a huge part of Swedish history in a way. And I, I honestly didn't know it was that many, but it's kind of interesting because, you know, we shoot these moments in the movie where we get to New York by boat and then we're supposed to take a train and none of us have ever seen a train before. And you realize how far behind than Sweden was. If you think about that, we didn't even have trains yet. It was still horse and buggy. So it's, it, this is a, a very personal thing for you to be able to, you know, put yourself in those shoes, considering you've had your own, I guess, experience acclimating to stateside lifestyle. And I actually was going to ask you that, you know, and pardon me if this is a stretch, but, you know, given the name of your new label and how this might be the first album cycle where people are actually pronouncing your name right. I was wondering, you know, if your time away from Sweden has a way in a way like heightened your identity for this album cycle. I honestly, I think you're right. I think I've never, that's the thing. I've, I've never really missed living there. I've always like kind of wanted to go somewhere else and, and you know, get away. But after living um, abroad for many years, I think I start to sort of miss, I miss, I never really speak Swedish in my daily life anymore. And, and you know, unless I talk to my parents or, or like most of my friends here are, their first in, uh, language is either English or it's not Swedish. <laughs> so it's uh, kind of people from all over, but very few Swedes. And I think that means that I rarely get to speak the language anymore. And there is, you know, a lot of cultural differences. 
and ways to 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 view the world in some ways. And I think, yeah, maybe maybe I'm like owning my Swedishness a little more. <laughs> I feel it. I mean, cute and cruel. That's that's Swedish excellence right there. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really, really, I've I've always been a huge fan of First Aid Kit, and I was like, this might be the one song that they feel like can you know blend the worlds between us. And uh, I just think it sounds so beautiful with them um, on it. And I'm just, yeah, very honored that they were down to to do it. Going back to this movie, sorry, I keep going back to the immigrants, but obviously there was this more looming challenge, you know, tapping into a side of yourself that maybe you thought you had moved past to get into what this character sort of demanded of you, which we hear about on Grapefruit. Talk me through that a little bit. Grapefruit is a song that I've tried to write for 10 years, I feel like. And I basically struggled a lot with eating disorders from I was like 15 to maybe around 20. I did my very best to keep it hidden from family and friends. But they, you know, eventually found out and it was like, you need to get help. And I, you know, I did, but I didn't really take it seriously. Like the drive to be in control of it was more important still. But then I went to a vocal doctor because I was having problems with my voice. And he just looked down my throat and said, like, oh, you're bulimic, aren't you? And I was like, no, just denied it. And he's like, okay, you don't have to talk talk to me about it, but I can tell you that if you keep going, you're going to ruin your voice and you, like, will never, it will just keep doing this and, you, and you'll lose your voice. You'll lose your singing ability. And that kind of shook me a lot. And I was like, am I going to treat myself this way to a point where I can't do the one thing that I that makes me happy at this point, <laughs> you know? And so from that day, I kind of started working on getting better. I went to therapy. I did all the work on like body positivity and trying to like uh, find a way to love and accept my body the way that it is. And it really, it took, you know, with that kind of disease, it takes a long time to recover. A lot of people never fully recover. They always have a complicated relationship with food. And, And the thing is, you kind of have to, at first, break the behavior and then deal with what's actually going on because it's rarely about the way you look or about food it's about something else something deeper and so once i had dealt with that you know I, it was just it was a few years of of a lot of of um hard work for me to get to a point where i felt comfortable in myself but i did it and so i think by the time that i started putting out music and i'm so happy that i was healthy by the time I started releasing music and becoming a person in the public eye because the criticism and comments and, you know, they scan you up and down and try to find things to to shit on you for is is quite intense. So I think that was, I was really happy that I, <clears throat> happy that I was at a good place when that started happening to me. And I think now for me, like I've never, I've mentioned like lightly in interviews you know yeah I used to not love my body but now I do and that kind of stuff because I wasn't really ready to sort of it just felt out of nowhere for me to speak about it but now that I've written a song about it I have to talk about it (laughs) you know for me every time I like flash my tits on stage or like I you know tell everyone to not retouch my body in magazines or, or ask that I get to look the way I look don't try to edit it or anything like that's always a small victory for me because that, you know, I didn't even want to look at myself for many years of my life. So I think what triggered me to write the song now is because they asked me to lose some weight for the movie, which wasn't much, you know, and it wasn't like a, 
you're fat, lose weight. It was very much like, you know, you're playing a starving character. Do you, would you feel okay losing some weight? And it wasn't a lot, but, and I said, yeah, I can do that. And then I went on a diet for the first time in like 10 years. I, and all these memories just started flooding over me, like just remembering how exhausting it is and how like nothing else matters when you're in that state. All these thoughts and memories started popping up. And so I just had to write them down and get it out of me. Now the now the song is here, <laughs> and it's a great song. Were you hesitant at all to like put these? You know, they're very evocative images and and lyrics. To, to set them to this, you know, huge pop song to, uh, that you're going to have to perform again and again. You have to choreograph, you have to do this, that. Were you nervous about that at all? Or, or did it feel empowering or both? I think it, it's both for sure. I think now that I'm working on the, the video and doing this choreo, I feel quite physically exhausted after, but also quite emotionally exhausted because it is taxing to throw myself into that state again. But I know that it's also going to be and is already quite rewarding. Because I feel like, you know, there's there's also the thing, like for me, the songs are going to be what they, they are. Like I write and then if I feel like this is powerful and this is good and this could really like reach people in a special way, then I can't keep it to myself, I, I think. And I guess, and also because I, I like the contrast of it being, you know, very sort of kind of dark, intense lyrics. And then the song is like, you know, you'll just be dancing and singing along and they're like, wait, what? What is she singing about? <laughs> Hang on. And I guess the contrast for me is important because I'm not in that state anymore. I think if I was still feeling that way, I kind of would have want, wanted the music to be more sad or more like uh, intimate. But because I, prevailed from it like I feel like it's important that the music feels hopeful also to me it's like personally with songs like this like I if I'm going through something like that I don't like to listen to songs that are telling me how I'm supposed to feel like when I'm feeling myself and I and I, I'm like having a good day and I'm like yeah I look hot today then I love to listening to like feeling yourself songs and like body positivity songs because I'm in that state but when I'm not in that state I want to listen to something where someone feels the way I do when they describe what I'm going through. And I think that's why I wrote it, wrote the lyrics that way, that they're kind of not hopeful. They're just like, this is the situation. Jumping off that point, you know, this album in particular gives me whiplash. And I mean that in the best way. I'm listening to one song and thinking to myself, your vocals have never been so stripped back and raw. And then the next song it's like the clubbiest thing you've ever done. And this sort of duality is something that you've sort of played with across your entire career, but it feels punctuated this time. Like one side can't exist without the other. Talk me through that. I guess it also plays into like, I've had longer time to write this record. And so I have longer time to experiment sonically too. Because I think when you have a really, really short amount of time, it's it's sort of easier to make a sonically similar and maybe more cohesive world. But I think also because I've, you know, been still in one place and have had a longer time to work on it, played into, diff you know, at first I, I wanted to to make more, more stuff that was in the world of I'm to blame, but nothing really ended up being as good as that. I couldn't really master 
that we are writing. I just did it for one song and I'm so proud of it. So I was like, it needs to be on the record. And I guess I started worrying so much about it needing to be cohesive and just letting it be honest and letting it be have its raw moments of of this is also a part of me like like a human being i'm this but i'm also that i'm this but i'm also that you can't really put anyone into a specific folder because there's too much of us in in different situations and we're we change and we go through experiences and then you know our, our minds change and our feelings change and our opinions change but something at the core of us is you're still you and so i guess i wanted to just let everything live on this album <laughs> the thing that ties it together is me and my words that can be enough you know that's the thread that is going through all of it it's me i'm the i'm the essence of the album <laughs> when you put out to die for you said i want to make something iconic tell me how that song sort of built itself around the popcorn sample because you don't sample off. have you ever sampled anything no it's my first time oh okay so that's a that's historic tell me like why that song in particular honestly it was an idea that just grew out of nowhere in the session like it was me and and oscar goris this swedish guy that i've worked with a lot over the years were signed to the same collective and we had like two three days together kind of out of like uh, i was i was home for for a week and we're like oh should we do you have time oh yeah let's just get in the studio see what we see what we come up with I was just saying like, oh, yeah, a lot of the album is starting to feel like it's like different eras of dance music. Like uh, a lot, of, I was thinking about Attention Whore and about No One Dares From Love and kind of there was different chapters of of, um, of dance music and all the stuff that I like to DJ because that was one thing I learned in the <laughs> pandemic is how to DJ. And then we started talking about kind of like the trans era and like, you know, trans music and like how those kind of synths and the intense like tempo. And I was like, yeah, I used to hate it as a kid. And now I'm like, oh, it's so cool. And then... Uh, Oscar just started kind of like playing around with those synths there in the beginning, like and I was like, Oh, I love this. Let's do something with this. Like, but we gotta make it slower. It can't be like 140. I can't <laughs> make melodies to that. And I don't know how, but all of a sudden I just started singing that melody. Like and I was like, wait, this works so well on these chords. Like, and I like showed it to him and he's like, Oh, wait, wait, wait. And he's like, Oh, it's crazy frog. I'm like, Yes, but no, it's it's popcorn by hot butter originally. <laughs> and we pulled it up and listened to it. And we're just kind of like, should we try this? Like, can we, I was like, I've never sampled anything before. Let's like play with this and just hope that, you know, the OG writers like it and will, will like approve this this use of it. That's kind of how it started. And we finished it actually in a day, which is rare. Maybe because we had the main melody then, thanks to that. But we also looked like, are there any remixes of this that like, you know, uh, we've missed? And there were a few that were cool, but there wasn't really anyone where someone sings the melody and has lyrics to it. So that felt quite unique to me. And it was hard to, to figure out like something with a sentiment in that complicated melody. Once I had it and once I felt like this is the, like when someone's kind of feeling a little down, like, let me take you out and we'll make out and have fun. You'll feel better. <laughs> that kind of song. <laughs> and yeah, it honestly sounds pretty much the same as it did from when we wrote it that day, which is pretty cool. That's rare for for me to like figure it out in one day. And yeah, they approved the sample and and that just felt like this is it. <laughs> if you want to find yourself I've been to so many places But I've never felt better Man, I hope you call me, call me 
do feel like your love for the club and for dance music, it's so pervasive on this record. And now you're talking about like learning to DJ and stuff. Were there any like wild nights in particular, maybe like, you know, game changing nights for you that you feel like made it into this record somehow? Well, actually, yes. So we went out to this festival called Desert Air outside of LA in Palm Springs. And it's like by this old like airplane museum. And I saw Channel Trez perform there. And, you know, he's featured on Attention Whore. That night was just, it was like, I think in general in LA, it's hard to find clubs with really good sound that play that kind of like house and techno and electronic music where people are really there to just dance and listen to the music. I guess I felt like this is one of those nights where people were there just to enjoy the music and you kind of go on a, I don't know if it sounds silly, but you go on a journey with the DJ and they create a journey for you. And I think I really got to to feel that without any disturbance <laughs> there. And Attention Whore was kind of inspired by sort of like, I want to make something hypnotic and sexy that feels like a journey and then i think you know the tracks with sg because it's also what he loves we've had some really fun wild nights together in la and so those songs just kind of grew from us being friends and then like let's ride together and uh, you know making music that we both love has there been any dj or producer in particular that has been like really inspiring you in your own sets these days yeah i'm a huge fan of fred again and then i love uh, anything that instinct uk puts out and then the swedish girls ida ingberg honey dijon no there's just so much and, and i have like my whole crew is just such a big group of music nerds who who we all just love to go out and dance together we dj a lot at our house here uh we live kind of in a collective five people <laughs> who all dj and so we have a little dance music project together called Oceanu. and i also have another with just girls called Ladies of Leisure and we DJ a few things we opened for Fred again he did like a secret show at a club in LA we got to open for him and that was that was just wild it was such an experience like that was another one of those where like people are here just to dance and everyone's like in it together it was it was amazing what is your like back pocket like this is gonna like set the crowd off but like maybe they don't know it yet oh yeah so it's a it's a remix of Freed from Desire with uh, Kevin McKay. Wait, I have to double check that that's who it's by because I have two. And it starts like pretty like heavy and like you have no idea. Yeah, Kevin McKay. You have no idea that that's where it's going. And then it just kind of like the vocal comes in and it's like any crowd, even if it's like, you know, even if it's like the sort of more like deeper, darker crowd, everyone kind of goes ballistic for it. It's really a fun one to play. I really want to talk about Pretty Swede Records and the decision to go indie and what that meant for this record in particular. I guess the start of it was that my deal was up and I wasn't sure what to do because I was kind of, I was signed out of Sweden, but also with a like a commitment from US. So it's like, you know, major, major label setup basically and kind of a classic way, which was, you know, I also will say like, they that you know changed my life i definitely needed that at the start of my career it was really important it really broke my music you know it made it possible for me to break in the way i did in america built my platform everything so i'm very grateful but at this point in my career i was kind of starting to feel a bit like i know exactly how i want to express myself and even though no they've never stopped me from putting something out it's you know sometimes been like 
yeah, we don't really get what you're doing, but we're not going to stop you, which, you know, they could have. And I've had artist friends of mine was that that's happened to them. So I've always been like, thank you for at least not <laughs> stopping my, my album, but then maybe not getting the support. I thought that the record needed at times. And that would be frustrating for me to sort of, you know, have to sort of argue with something that I wanted to do, but it wasn't really possible. It maybe didn't have enough commercial appeal, which is like fair, I think for major label, because they want to, their whole goal is to sell, you know, records as many people as possible in the way that they think is the best way. And I was very much trying to go against that many times. <laughs> I went to a few meetings with, with, with major labels after my deal was up. I kind of felt like I didn't, it didn't, even though I got some offers and it was, they were not bad offers. I just, I don't know, something in my stomach just didn't feel right. I was like, I feel like I'm going to have to fight for my expression constantly and fight for the right to make it, fight for um, the songs to sound and be as long as I I want them, like everything. And I was like, I have such a good team of A&Ring around me with my publishing team. My manager is a miracle worker. I work super close to my creative director. I pretty out, pretty much outsource everything creatively. I just feel like there's a way to do this on my own that's more like favorable to, to me and kind of a easier setup. And so I just... And I brought it up with my manager. She's like, oh my God, I've been thinking the exact same thing. Like, we should just do this your way now. <laughs> and so I met with M Theory, who's like kind of an artist relations team. Like they basically, I start my label and they kind of take on the, the duties of the, the label in a way. After that first meeting, I was just like buzzing. I was like, this is it. This is exactly what I should be doing. And I could just see it being this like journey of me just being the boss <laughs> and making all the decisions without any... <laughs> Which, you know, who knows if I'm making the right decisions, but it just so far feels so creatively free. And so, um, yeah, it just feels really, really great. Were there any sort of like new challenges that you weren't expecting um, in taking this new step? I guess just that when I say, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. It's going to happen. And then I have to like make sure that I just have to make sure that like um, I'm on top of everything being done and that I and that I'm like outsourcing things to the right people and that. I just have to be a little bit more involved in the sort of business process. And, but I don't mind that. It, it's, it's a learning curve. <laughs> but in the end, it's all pretty straightforward. You know, it's like, do I want to spend the money here or spend the money there? I guess that's the, that's the thing. It's like the options of like, you have these options to put money into this or put money into that. We would recommend doing this. But then I might be like, mm, I just feel like this is more like me. So let's focus on that. And sometimes that might be the wrong decision. But um, I'm learning as I go. <laughs> Now that this record is done and ready to take on a life of its own, what are you going to take away from Dirt Femme and carry into your future work? Ooh, I think the playfulness and the vulnerability and like letting it take the time it takes to write the next record. Because that was, I think, very crucial for this to be as good as it is, as, as I feel it is, is because I had a lot more time to write it. And it was well worth the wait. And now you have this, you, your catalog is big. Like there's like, there's plenty of, of Tuve Lu to keep us fed until then. Yes. <laughs> so nice to catch up. I cannot wait to see Dirt Femme on tour and, and to be able to just click and hear this record whenever I want. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No one does from love.
That was Tuvalu talking to the Faders' Salvatore Mackie. Tuvalu's new album, Dirt Femme, is out tomorrow, October 14, via her own Pretty Sweet Records. The Fader interview is engineered by Tony D'Ambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfan. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, AMP. Download it from the App Store now. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.